0: I love Spokane. Uh, In many ways, it's hard to explain just what it is, particularly, I love about this place. On the other hand, some things are very concrete and obvious for me. Um, I spent four or five years away uh, from the city abroad and then on the other side of the country Uh, and returned last June, so I've been back for about a year. And I think of things like our experience of all four seasons. Yes, even the really harsh, icy winter we had this year. The way our local art scene thrives, despite the fact that we aren't a big city. In my experience at different events nationwide, how Spokane gets overlooked or underestimated, I am a sucker for the underdog. And sometimes I think that's what Spokane is. Hopefully providing not just repetition, but some continuity to the service this morning. I'm also going to have us reflecting on a couple things, including Jeremiah 29, the passage Russ had us think on already. I'll reread it. Um, so just, just try and listen. Let the words kind of wash over you again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So, to start this series off, uh, what I'm hoping to do is provide a framework. Uh, hopefully a helpful actual theological framework for life in the city. So we are not just simply located on this street corner. We are not simply located in 2017. We are not simply located in Spokane, Washington. We are specifically located in all of those things, in this building that has a history on this street corner where people already live. All of those things need to be wrapped together when we talk about a theology of the city. I want to talk about Christian mission for a minute and what Christian mission is and looks like. Uh, Whenever we try to develop any kind of theology, but particularly a theology of something like this, I want us to have a specific intent in mind. The intent, I hope, that we can explore as we go through this month is the idea of welfare. The Hebrew word for that is shalom. Um, We've heard that word many times and we'll unpack it in just a minute. Um, But I want to talk about what our role in the welfare of this city might look like. This is going to sound a little bit strange, uh, but Christian mission, which is a big word, right? It can include a lot of things. Evangelism, outreach, conversion, dare I say it, all of that kind of stuff. uh, Christian mission is necessarily worldly, is the word I've chosen to use. Now, we often think of worldly things as things that are not good, right? Um, not for us Christians. So it's a little counterintuitive. What I'm trying to get at here when I talk about worldly, what I mean is that Christian mission always occurs inside a particular sociolinguistic, social, linguistic, structured concrete context. To put it another way, the result of the incarnation, right, the incarnation is God coming to us in human form, in Jesus. The result of the incarnation is that spirituality is no longer something that's out there. It's no longer something that's separate from what's in here. It's necessarily all wrapped up in earth. So God, we all know, chose a vehicle to interact with humanity. God chose a way to do that. Uh, God being the God that God is, sometimes this is a little bit wordy because I don't use gendered pronouns for God, but God being the God that God is, uh, God could have chosen another way to interact with us. But God chose to use humanity our own mode of existence, the way of existing that we are intimately familiar with. God chose that as the way to interact with us. The incarnation is about God coming to earth in the way that is dearest to us, the way that we can actually understand and interact with the best. I think sometimes we think about spirituality and humanity, or what I call earthliness, worldliness, as a kind of binary system, right? You have one in this circle and then one in this circle, and we keep them separate. It's not even necessarily that we think of worldliness or earthliness as bad, but maybe we think of it as something less than our spirituality. But the thing about God choosing to come to us in human form and look like you and me is that it has shifted everything. Spirituality is now a uniquely earth-bound concept. There is no longer any abstraction when it comes to the gospel. Certainly, concepts like grace and forgiveness can be talked about abstractly. And there are ways to think about them that are abstract. But grace left footprints when grace came down as Jesus and walked in the dirt. Forgiveness on Jesus left scars, right? This all means that any proper theology of a city must view the city as a holy place is a place that is good and spiritual. For all of earth is holy when we understand that the gospel is tied up in our existence. Now let's not be mistaken. Let's not romanticize this. That's not to say that this city, because we are talking about this city, Spokane, has no flaws or no problems. In fact... I think a proper theology of the city starts on the streets, in the cracks, in the gaps. The gospel is earthly, and therefore the gospel is impoverished. Jesus came for the broken. I think Jesus once said something like, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Come to think a bit, You know how Jesus interacted with tax collectors and prostitutes? Christ taught others through Christ's relationship with tax collectors and prostitutes, but never condemned the people that he ate with. This is not a perfect world, this is not a perfect city. This is not a perfect church. I hope you kind of see where I'm going with this. We love Jeremiah 29. I love Jeremiah 29. Particularly verse 11, which we didn't hear this morning. I think it goes something like, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plan to give you a future with hope. I want to remind us of what we listened to, the context and framework of that understanding that God has plans for us. Uh, The beginning of the verses that we were listening to read, to all the exiles whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. We are outsiders when we come into the city, but we are outsiders turned into insiders. We are exiles sent somewhere with a purpose. We are called to seek the welfare of the city. Welfare here, as I said, is the well-known Hebrew word, Shalom. I'm the guinea pig for the, new, for the new mic. Is that better? Okay, good. Okay, Good, that's better. They were like, we're so excited you get to try the new mic. And I was like, that's not a good thing. <laughs> oh, you, good. you all laughed so you can't hear me. Great. We've all heard Shalom over and over again. Well, maybe not all of us, but I certainly have after years of higher theological education. I assure you, I've heard it many times. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with the word, and you're thinking to yourself, you're a poet, of course you have a love-hate relationship with a word. Only a poet would have that. <laughs> like, we get it, Danielle. My favorite thing about the word shalom, just kind of by the by, is that uh, it's a really traditional Hebrew greeting that you say when you see someone and when you're leaving someone. So it means peace. Uh, That's kind of the basic word. So you say peace be with you when you see someone, and when you go away from them, you're also saying peace be with you. The real kind of concept or meaning behind the word shalom is wholeness, a fundamental sense that things are the way they were intended to be. Heaven coming to earth, you might say. Where people and animals and beings and the city are all in right relationship with God and subsequently with each other. So we're called to seek the wholeness of the city we have been placed in. Whether we come to the city by choice or whether we are exiled... Into the city. And while we're on the topic of exile, let's talk about what exile might mean. Honestly, no matter how happy or not happy you are with where you are, the fact that things are ultimately not at the moment full of shalom, things aren't full of wholeness yet, right? So we're all in a kind of exile. That doesn't have to mean that you need to start trying to hate the place that you are. In fact, I'm obviously asking you not to do that. But we can understand that things aren't all the way they're supposed to be. And recognizing that we are all in exile, in a way, I think helps us get a good framework for the brokenness that we experience. And we do experience it, right? Day after day, within, outside, all around us. Let's not romanticize the city here. Let's be concrete. Because I think of Jesus as God pouring God's self into like a cement mixer and like becoming concrete. Like that's how concrete we're going to get here. So we walk outside the doors of this church and a man who may be afflicted by homelessness because homelessness is an affliction, it's not a state of being, might greet us or more likely will not greet us because we are not the type of people who say shalom to someone afflicted by homelessness. Two weeks ago, I had that kind of interaction, either walking out or coming into church, or maybe both. I don't really remember. I want to talk about something as we move from one part of the city to another part of the city, right? We did not used to be located on 3rd and Howard, and now we are. An important thing to understand anytime we talk about Christian mission is that we are not the benefactors of the place we are sent to. In a proper theology of the city, we cannot think of ourselves as people who come into a neighborhood to transform it. We are not superheroes with a mission. And to act that way is to do so out of presumption and out of pity. Pity is not compassion, and it is not love. Pity does not serve a function in Christian mission. In a true understanding of the city, we need to recognize that whatever we might think we have to offer, whether that's our gifts, our passions, our talents, our money, whatever it is that we have to offer, and we do have things to offer, don't misunderstand me on that. But we need to set those aside. We, as a church, as a new community, have entered a new space where people were and are before us. Whether we see the people around us as in need or not, the truth is we are the new kids on the block. Anyone who's ever moved will know that whether you are rich or poor, When you're the new one in the environment, that really doesn't matter a whole lot. In mission, we get to play the host, right? We get to hopefully use this space as a place where we host people and practice hospitality. But we are also the hosted. We also are coming into a new space and need to recognize that there were already things here We can't ignore the fact that we must first learn what the rules here are. I think mission-oriented churches in this day and age really need to understand that we don't possess something that they, they being those who were already here, don't. We don't bring a commodity with us to the neighborhood. We can be a light but we're only harnessing the light that was already here. Is homelessness a problem in this area of the city? See, guys, I'm really sorry. I know it's very distracting. Uh, I like microphones that are here, like that I don't have to touch, but at any rate. Is homelessness a problem in this area? Yes. Are homeless people a problem in this area? No. Because people are not their situation, and people can be difficult, but people fundamentally are never a problem. So what is a proper theology of Spokane, Washington, on the corner of 3rd and Howard on Sunday the 3rd in 2017? Well, I can't say for sure. There is no one-size-fits-all understanding of a city. A good friend of mine, a poet, was talking to me recently about their reasons for continuing to live in Spokane. They moved to Seattle for a short period of time, about three weeks, and were reflecting on their decision to return to Spokane and to not continue to live in Seattle. Uh, My friend said, You know, we're just a stone's throw from the Aryan Nations, which are a religious white supremacist group located in Idaho. And I say religious white supremacist group because we are deluding ourselves if we ignore the fact that they claim the same religion that we do. We need to recognize that. My friend, anyway, continued, we are in a unique position where there's a lot of change that can happen here. A lot of change for the better. For better or for worse, my theology of the city is not anti-political because it is inherently privileged to opt out of politics. For us to understand our roots, the grittiness of the gospel, the streets, the impoverished, we need to recognize that the people we serve The people we are learning to be in relationship with don't have the luxury of opting out of political decisions. For all of the things I love about this city, the high amount of racism, homophobia, transphobia, classism, and sexism, among other things, the high amount of that is something that we need to be actively working against and working to eradicate. If we are to seek the wholeness of the city, we need to be actively working towards wholeness for all people. Like Russ said a few weeks ago, it is dangerous for the church to remain silent in times such as these. So if there's anything you take away from what I say this morning, it is a few things. We have a lot to give. There are a lot of gifts present in this community that I have been blessed with, that we are often blessed with. We have a lot to give, yes. But first, we need to assess the gifts that are already here. We need to love this neighborhood without any expectation of change. Change for the better is good, of course, but this place has a culture of its own, and it is not abstract. It is real, and it is gritty, just as all of human experience is. Secondly, remember that as we are assured in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God knows the plans God has for us, And those plans include a future with hope. But those plans take place in the context of exile, in the context of a lack of wholeness, in difficulty and contention. And so as we look forward, we need practical steps, right? Maybe you're waiting for me to give those to you. Well, surprise, I, like the answer to this microphone, don't have solutions that are permanent. I pull it up for a minute, right? I'm like, oh, this is what we should do about the city, and then five minutes later it's, like, not helpful at all. This is something we need to talk about as a community because, as we say often, many voices are present, and many voices are better than one voice. As we continue thinking about the city this month we need to talk about this in our small groups and our families we need to talk together what are the good things what are the gifts and strengths of this city block god is found in the broken places so we need to stop thinking of ourselves as filling in all the cracks We are simply called to do life where we are. We can romanticize this all we want, but in reality, being affected by others is hard. Whether you know people or not, whether you love them or not, being affected by them is difficult. We need to open ourselves to this context, recognize that most likely, we have a lot more to change than the people on the city block. Maybe you can buy into that. I say it, but a lot of times, I have a lot of trouble buying into that. So find ways with your groups, with your families, to be in the city, but not just the city. I mean, the, a like 10 block radius, let's say. Um, On Wednesday nights, about four-ish blocks from here, there's an open mic. It's a poetry open mic uh, that has changed demographics a lot lately. The demographic is a collection of mostly high school-aged queer kids who um, experience rejection and live in fear. At least once a week, I listen to a poem about how the people who have rejected them are specifically the Christian church. We, as the Christian church, need to find the places where we have done wrong and seek reconciliation. That's our first step. If we want to seek the wholeness of the city, we need to recognize what we as the church, maybe not as new community, but as the church, have done and start there. To conclude, I'm going to read a poem that I wrote about Spokane several years ago from the perspective of me having moved away and kind of thanking the city for what I like about it. Um, obviously, I live here now, again, but um, this is just to kind of reiterate my love for the city, um, because I do love this city. Even if you don't love this city, that's Okay. We can still be the church, no matter where we are. So, this poem is called Homesick. As the airplane turned your streets and houses into a miniature nativity scene, I knew it would be a long time before the words that you had taught me that it took me so long to find would return. All my life, I listened to my peers waiting with bated breath to grow up and out, eager to leave this town behind. Charges are less likely to be pressed for arson against your own home, after all. I've been writing this poem since the day I left. I wasn't looking to escape you, Spokane, you are my first true love. No matter the long winters, it was here I broke, but it was here I healed as well. I don't know how to put myself back together in a place where I've left no pieces. The tires of my now very sad-looking Honda CRV, like my soul, are reluctant to call a new city familiar. I don't mean to abandon you, Spokane, and I know I don't leave you lonely as I see all of the people who love you in these pews. I hope that you miss me. Your nooks and crannies are the beams in my foundation. Good city, you raised me well enough to survive without you. Don't listen to those who tell tall tales about the freedom they'll find after you. Don't let them burn you down. You gave me a road that will always rise to meet me and light in the form of anyone listening to this. All of these things could also be called healing. Thankfulness is a whirlpool of cliche and emotion, especially when put into a poem, but good city, you must know, my lungs would be too small to breathe the air of this world if you hadn't planted lilacs to keep me enchanted with oxygen. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Danielle. I was uh, excited to have her um, kind of start this series in part because I knew she would challenge us uh, not only theologically, but that she would um, have in in many ways a prophetic challenge, um, a call to the church, to us as the church. Um, and as you were listening to that, hopefully different themes were kind of rising to the surface. But the one for me that kind of Resonated the most is that we are to be a people rooted in a place. That we are to be a people of the incarnation, understanding that God came to a specific place and a specific time for very sp- specific purposes. And that we have the opportunity in the midst of this space, as we said, not to enter into as heroes seeking to rescue the day but to enter in as people who are learners, people who are eager to serve, and people who recognize that Jesus came not to just affect spirituality, as Danielle talked about, but to affect all of life. Part of this idea of shalom is human flourishing. That if Spokane is to live into what we dream and desire and what our role is, then that means that Spokane should flourish in every area, that people should flourish economically, that there should be an end to injustice as it relates to the divide in resources in our city, that there should be a significant change in politics, uh, that we shouldn't just imagine Jesus coming and only caring about the spiritual or the afterlife, but he came and he dealt with the politics of the day. He dealt with the poverty and injustice. He dealt with issues of sexuality. He dealt with issues of oppression, that wherever justice was needed, Jesus was present. And it's the same call that we have. And over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to talk about how do we be people of biblical justice? There is no justice apart from biblical justice. Right? Everything is rooted in the gospel. So when people speak to us being a church that's for justice, we simply go, yeah, thank you very much. Because we are wanting to be about the very things that Jesus is about and the very things he's calling us into.